As we sit here telling stories Till it's quarter after three The details are so gory But that's how they're supposed to be And this waiter must be wondering If we're ever gonna leave Are you there, God? It's me, John. Welcome to episode one of Talking at the Diner. I'm John Kim Fay, and this is my new podcast here on Patreon. I'm out to prove that there is no truth serum like a turkey club sandwich. So the premise of Talking at the Diner is kind of like that Jerry Seinfeld show where it's, you know, comedians in a car getting coffee, except this is musicians in a diner getting chicken fingers. At least that's what you get if you're our first and inaugural guest on this podcast, Mr. Brett Talley, my bandmate in not only Ike, but now the Caulfields. So this is a conversation that Brett and I had at the dining car. It's one of our favorite spots on Frankfurt Avenue in Northeast Philadelphia. And uh, we have a lot of history together uh, at that diner, and so um, there were places closer to where Brett lives that we could have gone, but I said, you know what, we need to go to the car. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Brett Talley on Talking at the Diner. Everything is on the table when we're talking at the diner. So there's a lot of memories in this place. We're standing, the, we're standing in front of the... Uh, the old Kmart. The Kmart where you had your first gig. We played the grand opening of that Kmart. We were paid $250. That's pretty good to, ha- to get that kind of money at your first show. And we played next to a Flintstones uh, kitty ride. Nice. And you would put in a quarter and it would shake. <laughs> That's all it does is vibrate. And then... <laughs> They knew what the children were looking for. Right. After the performance, we came over to the dining car to partake in their chocolate fudge cake. Ooh. And then we had to go back to class. Dining car is bumping. It is. The old stomping grounds. If the sun does get too much, you can adjust the blinds. That's okay. Thank you. No do that immediately. Yeah, we'll do that right now. <laughs> yeah. There we uh, go. That's what I like. In the dark. I'm in the dark here. The darkness. <laughs> What's the go-to for you? Chicken fingers and fries. There you go. Although the mozzarella sticks are also highly acclaimed at the car. The DC. And you... Um, you like to get well-done French fries. I'm I interested in the I'm story not, behind uh, that uh, I just preference. Not, I mean, who likes soggy fries? 
I, mean, I don't hate them. No, I, no, I need a little you bit of You need crispness. I, I need, yeah. Okay. A little bit. I, I got want you. some solid mass. How are you guys today? All right, how Wonderful. are you? I'm good. Thanks. What can I get you to drink? Uh, water, please. Yeah, same for me. Thank you. Already she's like, oh, great. They're going to tip great. Yeah, great. These cheap fuckers. Yeah, this, this fucking bald white guy in this Asian... You don't honestly think that's their attitude here at the no, car, do you? I mean, you never know. You never do. This is 2021. All right. So this is uh, musicians in a diner eating. Wait, what, what was it? Yeah. Again? So musicians in a diner eating, eating dinner, dinner, what, lunch, whatever. Or, yeah. <laughs> it's not quite as pithy as the Seinfeld thing, but I still think it's going to be good. I'm honored to be the first guest that people will see, and I'll wait till I'll wait till someone's better. Or, uh, it's Brett. I'll wait. Yeah, this will probably, that must, that must probably get a, better. This is just the demo. I'll wait for the full album. Right. This is just uh, two musicians sitting in the corner booth behind the utility sink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, with the broom and dustpan. I guess that's why they asked if the corner booth was okay. Yeah. This is not usually our sector of the diner. We usually sit yeah. on the other side. On the other side. Yeah. Right. I wish they would have just said, do you guys mind sitting it behind the utility sink? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been way better. I would have appreciated the candor. Yeah. You know. So how is the movie coming along other than the part that you showed everybody? Um, it's good. So everyone's interviews are edited down with all the questions out. Some of the like, um, where they like, <laughs> they want to confer at you. Like we're in, we're in. Where were we? Australia. Wait, where, where was it? Australia? Where did we play that? The blah, worst blah. possible way to conduct yourself in an right. interview. I took all that out. Um, <laughs> That's the call fields for you. So it's pretty tight. Like, you could watch the interviews as one whole thing of us talking, mm-hmm. and they're pretty tight. Good. Tight, tight, what tight. What a lot of, like, yeah. So now it's just a matter of, like, trying to come up with, like, how should the question appear on the screen. Right. Uh, that kind of thing. Or should the viewer just be expected to guess the question? <laughs> Based I mean, on the answer. Well, you and you and Sam were kind of good at repeating the question back in the answer. Right. Um, That's what you're supposed to do. Sam was a mess. Or not, no, no, Richie. Richie was a mess. <laughs> his his interviews is hilarious. Well, he's the comic relief. I yeah. Guess. Everything the Caulfields ever do, Sam takes it as an example of this is why we never made it <laughs> <laughs> and he's right we don't carry ourselves in that uh, confident way it's weird like there's there's like a dynamic in that band that I don't think like if you and I were doing an Ike thing it wouldn't be the same no it's a whole different attitude oh yeah especially with those two yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> but I think the call fields are funny or funnier Ike was funny 
Yeah. yeah especially once, with once Tom, Tom. Tom was in the yeah, group. Yeah, Tom, yeah. Like, anytime, like, the call fields get together, I can't help but just, like, laugh at everything. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of this doo-wop band that I used to record. There were four guys that all grew up in South Philly together, went to Vietnam together, came back, still did the doo-wop acapella group thing. And when I would record them, it would be the four of them, and hardly any recording would get done because it would just be four of them arguing, busting each other's balls about parts, and then... They but, would, in, but in a they, humorous they, yeah, way? Yeah, and I told them they needed a reality show because it was hysterical. I would just sit back, and they would be paying me. So I was getting paid to laugh at four Italian guys just busting each other's balls. Was Frank LaFaro involved yeah, in this group? Yeah, and... And it's ironic we bring up Frank LaFaro. That is true. You had a meeting with Frank LaFaro at actually, the very diner. I did. Which was a great segue. Yeah, you know, that, that's, it's, there's so many memorable experiences in this diner because you and I could have gone to a, a diner that was like five minutes from your house. Right. But I asked to, go to here. come here. Right. Because it, it holds not only memories of... You and I, like I think, maybe mm-hmm. one of the first times we ever like had a deep conversation was, was here. here. Mm-hmm. I think you, I asked you to be in Ike. Yeah, here. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I put, got down on bended knee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or did I grab my ankles? I can't remember. Yeah. Which one. Um, I remember spe- specifically. You were like. What if we got you a martial amp? <laughs> Was I trying to ply you with what three if, gear? What if we got rid of that PV amp you use <laughs> and got you a Wow, a I was Marshall. really uh, doing the hard sell, oh, yeah. huh? Yeah, yeah. That's funny. That was the, yeah, that and, was the first time. And you didn't time, even say yeah. yes at first. No, that was... Um, that was right in the middle of outset, getting yeah. our heads blown up by people that were... Uh, what's the word? Blowing us up. Blowing you up. Giving us you false up. hope. Uh-huh. And, Blowing uh, smoke up dreams. your collective Yes, path. yeah, correct, correct. Because I remember at that time we had just had a manager, if you want to call it that, and he was going to... Oh, it was great. It was fly us down to Florida. We were going to be in a beach house where we were going to do nothing but rehearse. And we were going to come up with a um, set to go uh, showcase for whatever labels he had connections to. So Outset was your first band. Right, Outset. Yeah, Outset was my first, like, actually, I would say... Original band. Yes, I would say Outset was my second most serious band. My first serious band was a band called Hollow Body. Formed in my junior year of high school. It was me and two other guys. It was two acoustic guitars and a sax player. I love it. I love it already. And this is right when Dave Matthews was at its height. Very Dave influenced. And there was an album that came out called Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds Live at Luther College. Yes, very famous record. And that was the album that was the inspiration to form this band. And we started off doing Dave stuff, but then it morphed into 
Ooh, let's do originals. I'm going to write an original. And of course, all the originals sounded exactly like Dave Matthews. That's why I wrote so my first doing, original song. Instead of doing Dave covers, we'll do originals. Right, we're going to do originals that, that sound exactly sound like, like Dave, Dave so we can get away with it at these shows. Okay. I mean, we would even have people come up and be like, was that like a Dave Matthews B-side? Was that like a <laughs> that Dave Matthews? Obscu- is that rarity? like an obscure thing you found at some record store with bootlegs? Well, hey, at least people thought it was at that right. level. I felt good that we were good you enough know? to pawn that off as our... But yeah, I, that's know, where I wrote my first original song was with that band. I think it's pretty interesting because, you know, you say it sounded exactly like Dave Matthews, but like... The more I think about that kind of thing, it's like, you know, just to be able to, like, mimic something well mm-hmm. means that you've really studied it. Right. Yeah. And you really probably had... We had it down. Had it had it down. The other guy, the other... it was, We split up singing half and half between me and this guy, Matt. And at the time, Matt had more original songs written than I did, and he was more of a Dave fan so his stuff was like very Dave which impressed me he was more of a Dave fan than you cause he um, that's hard to believe yeah he uh, and his songs were more Dave-esque where I think Mayan weren't they definitely were so what would constitute being Dave-esque the guitar playing the singing mainly the guitar playing it was all like that riffing mm-hmm. you know like the what would you say satellite guitar riff it was all kind of stuff like that and of course we had our friend Dan play sax so you, you instantly add a sax to a guitar riff like that and you're, you're Dave it's very sexy uh huh and he was great he would always wear a suit and tie to every gig we did the sax player and in the middle of the show he would always do a split he could do a, he could do a full split like a cheerleader <laughs> and we would let him get like a crazy sax solo in the middle of the set and While he would end it doing by the doing split? he would do the split at the end it's like the ending <laughs> to his solo wow. and people loved it people went nuts who wouldn't um, how did you get uh, like how did Outset possibly top this <laughs> yeah well you know, I, I'm thinking about it right now. I, don't, I really don't remember why Hollow Body split. I wouldn't say it was graduating and everyone went to... Matt right. went to college. I believe Matt went to Widener. Dan went to study music. Dan was, like, um, an incredible musician. You know, when you form a band that young, it's yeah. very rarely the one you end up with. Yeah. I mean... And we, we had a, quote, album that we recorded on my Fostex four-track cassette <laughs> in my parents' basement. Um, where all great first and they albums were all originals. are made. Yeah. I wish I had a copy of that. Um, it doesn't that exist like, anywhere? Somebody has it. <laughs> I'm, I, somebody has I it. I have a CD case of it. Wow. But I would love to listen to that. But... While in Hollow Body is when I met Phil, um, started recording his old band, which was called Full Service. They did their thing. I recorded two of their albums, and then once they broke up, Phil wanted to make a solo record and asked me if I would play on it with him, and that was the beginning of Outset. And then I was like, well, why don't we get Sue to play bass? Right. And so then, you were uh, already with Susie at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so so you're saying that Outset was originally supposed to be Phil's solo yeah, record, mm-hmm. and then it morphed into the yeah, band. Yep. 
Interesting. Kind of like John Faith Power Trip turned into Ike. Turned into Ike. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Oh, here they come. Hey. Oh, boy. Yeah, look at them. Woo! The fries. He was so excited. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Thank you. Ooh. Thank you very much. Could I bother you for an extra pickle? No pickles. One pickle limit per person. All right. Person. All right, then. Freak. Did I even get a he pickle? He didn't get one. No, I hate pickles. You believe See, that? that's why. I'll bring you a pickle. Thank you so much. Another thing about me. I'll tell you, as much as we love the D.C. here, the one crime is no Heinz 57. Oh. We get, it's, uh, we get Farmer's Choice tomato ketchup. Well, you know. DVPG. This is actually, and actually, Brett... One of the cornerstones of the podcast is that each person is going to be photographed with their food. Oh, really? So I'm going to. Oh, all right. How do I look? Make me look great. Skinny. Just, uh, you know. I'm actually holding it up. Actually, those plates are really goddamn hot. <laughs> let's, let's figure out another way to do this. I, I got it. Wow. I got oh, you it. got it? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> all right. The fingers look the same. That's good. And are the fries crisp enough for your liking? Very good. Ah. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, boy. Yeah, these are good. Been a long time, my friend. Mm-hmm. You don't even use the sauce. No, I'm not a fan of that. It's kind of a rare thing. Somebody who actually only dips in ketchup. Chewing condiment, I really partake in. Mustard, mayo, all that shit makes me sick. I can't even look at it. I'll tell you a story. In my younger years, living at my parents, I remember having dinner at my dining room table with my family. And my mom wanted to torture me, and she had a whole plate of mayo that she shoved in my face. She and it, you didn't like it? And some of it went in my nose, and I just started smelling it. And I had to run into the kitchen, and I vomited right there into the trash can. True story. Well, thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Your trauma. Mm-hmm. That sounds very upsetting yeah. as a young boy. That's my mom, boy. <laughs> <laughs> There used to be a show called... I should, took it, I should have took it as a sign then. There used to be a show called That's My Mama. That's My Mama? You ever hear it? Uh-uh. Mm. <laughs> Clifton Davis, who plays the minister in the I Think You Should Leave episode, yeah. episode with New Joe. Yeah. That was his uh, sitcom. In the I 70s. never heard of that. That's My Mama. And actually, uh, but when I first heard of Throw Mama from the Train, mm. I was I was like, ooh, I should check that out. <laughs> See, something I love about the dining car chicken finger yeah. is when you bite it, the breading stays attached to the chicken. It doesn't create that hollow space it's not around a it of, of breading separation. Yeah. It's actually attached, which makes it much more enjoyable. You're definitely a finger connoisseur. Mm-hmm. So you honestly think people are going to listen to this and enjoy this? It's all in the editing, baby. <clears throat> I subscribed for this. 
How long has it been since you got the nine inch nails tattoo? Um, about two months now. It's a good look. I like it. Two little spots there. I think I'm going to get. Do you think, are you going to get touched get up or no? Touched up. Yeah. So I want to get a Bowie one next. So do you feel like uh, you enjoy the experience of the tattoo or is it more because you just want to honor, honor certain things on your body? Yeah. Both. I love the conversation between the artist and the... What's that like? When I got my tattoo, my only tattoo, I feel like I felt so out of my element and stupid that I just like kept my mouth shut the whole time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no, I go. So do you go to the same person each time? No. Um, so the petty one I got done, it's called Seance Tattoo. There's not too far from my house now. Um, and interestingly, halfway through, my artist tells me that he's colorblind. And I was like, oh, well, should I be concerned being that this tattoo is pretty colorful? But it actually reminded me of another Curb episode because he said, well, you know, I know what red is. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, good. I don't even know um, what red is. But the two artists that I have were like the complete polar opposite of people. The Tom Petty guy was very focused and very professional and very um, respectful. We were talking about art, how it's subjective. Um, and we, we talked horror movies more than anything because that tattoo shop is known for like to be more horror based pieces. Oh, really? Um, so it was odd for you to come in and ask like for they a actually, They actually had to, like, approve the tattoo. I had to send, and they told me whether or not they would do it or not. They wouldn't want their name attached to say yeah. an air supply tattoo. Right. <laughs> um, but my guy at the time was an apprentice there. That's why they assigned me to him, so I guess he could build his body of work. The newbie. Mm-hmm. And how did that make you feel? I was fine with it because I had seen his work and it was like incredible. And then the Nine Inch Nails guy, I had done on Street Road, and that guy was just the most cynical guy. Really? You know, mouth like a trucker, <laughs> metalhead. He just kept saying, man, this takes me back to the 90s, man. <laughs> it's very interesting because in my songwriting class, I've been playing um, 
hurt by Nine Inch Nails. Okay. And Johnny Cash's version of it. Oh, nice. As examples for years and years. And I've noticed that over time in this past term, my final term, teaching mm-hmm. in particular, you know, there's a fair number of students who were like kind of freaked out by the, the Nine Inch Nails version? version of Hurt. Uh-huh. I think the whole 90s aesthetic of like, you know, the creepier and weirder and colder and darker it is, the better. Mm-hmm. People of a certain age don't like that anymore. Hmm. Interesting. You know, they're looking for good vibes. I don't know. I don't know what they're looking for, but it ain't me. <laughs> Word. Funny story about this Nine Inch Nails tattoo artist. I'm sitting there, and they were past closing. But, you know, anyone they were still working on... Of course, you kick them out. Yeah. So I forget what time it was. I want to say maybe I think it was around nine-ish. Mm-hmm. But these two girls walk in, and it was just me and this guy. So he stops working on me. Yeah, can I help you? It's like, yeah, we're looking to get tattooed. <laughs> He's like, oh, you know, what are you looking to get done? And the one girl just goes... We went love written on our wrists. And the guy just goes, Nah, sorry, we're closed. You know, you have to come back another time. And, and they leave. He just looks at me and goes, I don't got time for that kind of bullshit. Yeah, he's standing up for what he stands for. I like yeah. that. I mean, you have a very long and close relationship. Like, Emotionally, with nine, with nine inch nails, inch, right? Like, clearly, Which is you why would, I got you would not get it tattooed on your right, yeah, inner arm. If, if, if I got didn't. the Beatles up here, did you ever see my Beatles tattoo? You knew that, yeah, that, yeah. So, I got strawberry fields up there. Mm. I got that when I turned 30. Wow, Sue got me that as a 30th birthday gift. Nice, but yeah, nine inch nails is the reason I got into recording. And so my parents would take me and my brother down the Seaside Heights in Jersey. That was like our beach. And my dad was very good at um, doing the games where the wheel would spin and he would have to guess the color and the number. Games of chance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there was this one uh, spot on the boardwalk where the guy just had CDs and cassettes and like... It looked like a, a man cave behind this thing. <laughs> and my dad played a color and a number, and it hit. And I remember him saying, like, what do you want? And I remember the Downward Spiral album cover, like, just looking at me. And I think Closer was out at that point, and I knew that was, like, a big thing on MTV. And you wanted to be closer to God. Yeah, and there it is. So there you are. I just wanted to fuck like an animal, John. We know Um, you do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I get the downward spiral. Uh Scared the shit out of me. I was not ready for the audio assault that that was. So you were probably, like, one of the kids of today who listening to... I had never heard anything like that. Hmm. In my life, I never heard guitars sound like that. Yeah, it's like it's like going into like a like a a haunted house or something. Yeah, I just never heard like the opening track of that record is such an assault, and then it instantly goes into one of the most quiet songs on the record. 
You know what's great about playing hurt for the class? The ending. That chord is so loud. Yeah. That's and the then end. it just like rings out for like two yep. minutes. Mm-hmm. And well, I let dissonance. the whole thing play until it's gone. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like looking like. Yep. Huh? 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 What do you think? It was particularly funny over Zoom. Oh, God. <laughs> Everyone's wearing headphones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that kicks in. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's one of those songs. And I just didn't know how somebody was able to create sounds like that. And, like, how do you even begin and to record something like it. that? Right. Also. And like, it was like right then and there, I remember sitting in the car being like, I, I want to learn how to do that. Like, I want to do that. Like, that fascinates me. And from there, I started, you know, reading magazines about, like, Trent Reznor. And I learned that he... Uh, you know, was born and grew up a little bit in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So Nine Inch Nails is a very is very central to your musical Absolutely. origin yeah, story. One hundred percent. The Beatles, I would say, the Beatles, Pearl Jam, and Nine Inch Nails, and then Dave Matthews. Actually, yeah. Dave Matthews is what got me writing original music. There you go. Beatles so got me into music. Pearl Jam got me into rock, and then that was like '91. When I got into Pearl Jam, so I'm like 11. Pearl Jam unplugged. Changed my life. You were 11 and you got into 10. Mm-hmm. How do you like that? Look at that. You know, I'll tell you a cool moment because we know Pearl Jam is Jay, Jay Morales' favorite band. And I remember there was one night down Xfinity when we were playing where Pearl Jam was across the street and he was so bitter that he, he had, had to, to play, play the gig while Pearl Jam was across the street. Yeah. But he was going the next night. Well, we're sitting there on a break, and he just looks at me with this look of disgust. And he's like, do you know what they're doing right now? I was like, no. He's like, they're playing 10 in in its entirety, like just out of the blue. And I was like, what? He goes, and we're over here. I was like, God damn it. So we were so bitter. Sweet Caroline in its entirety. Sweet Caroline and Jesse's girl. They're playing this seminal album in its entirety across the street in our hometown. So I remember that night, later that night, we played a Pearl Jam song. Um, But I thought it was cool that Pearl Jam, who's like this huge band for me, and Jay, is playing across the street. I don't know what's wrong with me. Why are you forgetting your box? Oh, no worries. It's not going anywhere. I'm trying to take your turkey (laughs) club. Thank you. Thank you. But to me, I thought it was cool that Pearl Jam was playing across the street, and me and Jay, who like love Pearl Jam, and right. Oh, the irony! Like, here we are. We're across You're the street, this close to your favorite band, and mm-hmm. but but then again, it's kind of cool. look at it like they are. They were an inspiration to both you guys wanting to play music, right? And you were doing it. You were playing right across music the street. right across the street yeah. for money. Correct. As a living. That's how I looked at it. That's and a good thing. Same thing happened with Tom Petty. Tom Petty one night was across the street. And, and I remember were. we were playing American Girl, and I said, how cool is it that he's across the street, possibly playing American Girl right now, and I'm across the street from him. Playing his songs. Look, man. For a crowd of people. One of the reasons that I want to talk to musicians in this format 
is to really kind of get to the heart of like what inspired you, what right. drives you. Yeah. You know, like the things that love you it. think about when you make those connections. Yeah. Where well, I'm that guy. We should go back to the beginning of this. When you and I were here, we should say that it didn't turn out. Well, yeah, I think I said that earlier. I yeah, was, like, like, trying to ply you with free yeah, amps, and you and didn't was, say yes right away. Right. I, I was kind of like, <laughs> let me think. I got. I tried to do both. Right. And uh, it was tough. But then and, well, you it know, wasn't too I, long I guess, after. Well, you know, I mean, look, I think it made sense for you to absolutely try to see the band that you started through to its potential. Like, I didn't hold that against you in the least. Uh, but was I happy you eventually came around? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I don't... I, I tell you this all the time. I don't, I don't know how many times I've said it publicly, but, like, just about every band I've ever been in would have perished had you not come <laughs> along at the right time. <laughs> I'm the fixer. You're the fixer. I'm the fixer. That's why I love that song so much. <laughs> that's, my, that's, that's, my, that's my way of, like, respecting your favorite band. <laughs> but, yeah, like, you know, like, when... Uh, Cliff Phyllis and Dave Anthony were on their way out with Ike. There was you. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know about Dave until that night at the World Cafe and we saw you guys play. I think it was Cliff's last gig, It right? was Cliff's last gig. He had, you know, he had said it well ahead of time. And Dave... Did Dave... You found out I about found that, out that, that night? night? All right, so Dave. he must have told me, like, that day. Oof. Like, yeah, Jan, I think this is it for me, too. I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's half the band. Wow. Cool, let's do this. But, you know, weirdly... You weren't worried about it? I, I don't think I was that worried about it. You know, like, I think I had gotten to the point where very little, like phased me about things, you know? And plus, you were going through a rough time at that time. Yeah, I was going through a lot more personal stuff at that time, I guess. And on top of that, you know, things just always have a way of working out one way or the other, you yeah. know? And I had already done a lot. I mean, it's weird to say that when you think of, like, how much stuff happened after that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we made three different records with Ike, with you in the band, and then I had John and Brittany, and then I had Meddling Kids, and so it's interesting to, like, try to remember what your perspective was at a certain time in your life, and then, you know, there was nothing to worry about. There's plenty more to come. And that goes, too, I remember with walking out of um, rehearsal one night down on Delaware Ave and I remember Joanne Joanne Schmidt yes <laughs> I remember her kind of giving you like lighthearted shit about there being 14 tracks on where to begin and I remember you saying well Joanne I'm not getting any younger <laughs> And, like, I still remember that. And, like, you know, I think that's when I put my record out, it was 14 tracks. And oh, I said the same thing. And anyone that asked me, like, oh, are you going to try to slim it down? I was like, no. I'm not getting any younger. As long as these songs are I'd all good. Yeah, but you, you, you're, you're, you stand behind each and every one of those 14 yeah. songs. And I think that was the same that's for my, That's my justification. Record. No one has to listen to it in one sitting, right. you know? Well... I think the uh, I'm not getting any younger has been like the credo for me ever since then, pretty much. But think about the amount of stuff you've done since that, you know, since where to begin. Right. I mean, you had Tie the Knot, 
You had Little People, Church in the Steeple. You had John and Brittany EP, Start Sinning. John and Brittany Live album, Stories to be Told, and Meddling Kids. So that's seven records since, since Where yeah. to Begin. <laughs> I'm not getting any younger. Since I'm not getting any younger. Plus the book? Plus the book. And I think that's my attitude with, you know, I have a lot of reasons for, like, starting the Patreon thing and all that, but the main thing is, you know, like, I'm just looking at where I'm at in life, and I'm in a position where I can say to myself, well, I want to spend my time doing just a handful of things. Mm -hmm. Primarily, you know, other than, you know, being a father, the other top priority is, like, my creative life. And that's what I want to spend my time doing. I mean, it might look, like, um, foolhardy to, like, walk away from a job that you've had for 16 years, which is what I, how long I was at Drexel, but... It's a no-brainer at this point. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's aspects of that job that I will definitely miss and aspects that I love. But by the same token, it's so much more important to me to, like, be able to, like, focus in a unfettered way on the stuff I want to do. Like, dude, like, I've honestly, like, I've been waking up every day without an alarm and on probably, like, five hours of sleep or less most days... At like 6.30 in the morning, I just get up and I'm like, all right, let's do this. And I just immediately just start working on stuff. Like I've been editing videos. I've been like sort of like scheduling different things that I want to do. That's how I felt during quarantine, you know? I could get up and like, what creative thing am I going to do today? And it was Uh, a wonderful thing. I have that feeling right now. And I'm taking full advantage of it because like, I mean, I... It's kind of weird that, like, I can't manage to sleep more than, like, four or five hours a night. Like, I'm wondering, like, when is this going to catch up to you? I did, like, a full, probably, like, six or seven hours of video making and editing yesterday. Then I drove to Joey DiTullio's house to work on a mix for a song. Then I drove home, and it was, like, 1030 at night, and I kept going. And I went to the gym. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know. Like, I've never really felt this free before. You know, there was always something that, I mean, you know, obviously every adult person has certain responsibilities they got to do. But, like, I really feel like for as much stuff as I have in my past, I see a lot happening from this point out, too. Good. Keeps evolving, baby. It does. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'm excited about it. You know what? I am, too. I am excited about all of this, and I thank you for listening to the inaugural episode of Talking at the Diner. Uh, It was a great conversation with my dear friend and bandmate, Brett Talley. If you enjoyed this episode and you're enjoying what I'm doing in general on Patreon, please tell a friend because I think that this community is going to grow, but it's only going to grow 
in that grassroots kind of way, that tell-a-friend kind of way, and any support that um, you care to give in that realm, just to share your thoughts, spread the word, that's extremely appreciated. I want to thank Brett Talley for having that conversation with me. If you guys only know him as my bandmate from Ike or my newest bandmate from the Caulfields, understand that this man is an outdoor in his own right. He put out two great records over the past couple of years. 2019, he put out Perpetual States, and he followed it up very quickly with his latest release called Nonlinear. I suggest you check both of those records out. Brett is an amazing songwriter and artist, and um, you're not going to regret it. Uh, one more thing. Brett and I have recorded um, a Simon and Garfunkel tribute EP. This was sort of in the aftermath of a SNG live stream that we did last fall. We enjoyed diving into those songs so much that we decided to record a handful for posterity. And those songs are going to be part of a collection called A Time of Confidences, which will very shortly be part of the John Fay ever-expanding box set. So be on the lookout for that, and be on the lookout for the next episode of Talking at the Diner. I've got some uh, luncheon dates already set up with some friends, and I think those conversations are going to be very compelling. So I'll see you next time, right here on Talking at the Diner. And as we like to say around these parts... Appreciates. Everything is on the table when we're talking at.